Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin, and today we're going to be talking with one member of our team, Ray, and his partner in Mythopia, Vince. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to be back. Of course. Yeah, it's good to have you back, Ray. <laughs> I think the first episode where you were, you were co-host was the only one I haven't been the host for. So now I get to interview you. Awesome. So... We're talking about Mythopia. Would you all like to tell us what Mythopia is? Also, our subject today is a little special one. Rather than talking about a specific game, we're talking about working with artists. And I think you'll see why we, we've chosen to talk to Mythopia for this. So yeah, what is Mythopia, Ray? Mythopia is a creative company formed by Vince and myself way back in 2014 as an entity to create original worlds and original stories. And... It's basically a partnership between Vince and myself, and it's where we do our work. Vince, what was uh, Mythopia's first project? Mythopia's first project was a comic series called Skies of Fire. Mm. It's an epic diesel punk story that follows the tale of a captain who's on the hunt for a pirate in this whole universe that we built for, for the tale. I think part of our idea, the reason why we call ourselves Mythopia, is because we love huge, expansive worlds. We were inspired by Lord of the Rings, you know, adventure tales that really encompass not just the tale, the story, but the cultures and the worlds that are explored within it. Yeah, in, in looking through Mythopia's work and, and in reading one of your comics, I actually have read Glow and liked it a lot. I've noticed that there is a lot of implied world building, which which feels to me like it really meshes with the uh, you know, to go back to our podcast, normal content, it meshes with the kind of the blades in the dark, forge in the dark style of storytelling. So tell me, do you, do you primarily see yourselves as world builders in that sense? Absolutely. I think Ray and I, we, we really like the idea of creating depth in our stories by, by building the, the cultures and, and the ideas through history, through logic. In fact, a lot of our work involves research, doing hours of research on past cultures and languages and bringing people on board who share our ideas and our vision. One, one thing that I think Glow does really well is, so I'm not sure if people are aware, but there's two major styles of world building. There's hard world building and soft world building. Hard world building is like uh, Lord of the Rings, where literally every part of Middle Earth can be tracked in hobbit feet, while soft world building is more like spirited away, mm -hmm. where nothing is ever explained, but through the visuals and through the actions, you understand that there is a very rich and deep universe behind it. And what Glow is, is that it's kind of a hybrid of the two, because we, we actually put in the homework to create a true language that stands on its own that you can learn, mm -hmm. but we're not hitting you over the head with it. We're hiding it within wall reliefs and little, little sections of dialogue. And the idea is that people feel the richness of the world, but aren't hit over the head with it. And if they wanted to explore more, they would realize, oh, wow, actually, this is a whole complete world. Awesome. Ray, listeners of the show might recognize Mythopia from a previous episode we did with Felix of the Wild Sea. It's a TTRPG Kickstarter. You, you all are mostly known for comics and books. 
Was this your first RPG Kickstarter? Have you done others? Can you tell us about your role in that? We have done others. We Back in February, we did a small project called The Love Balloon for Zine Quest 2, mm-hmm. which was super experimental. It's a GM-less collaborative game set aboard a love balloon, which is like a love cruise, except with airships. And we had a lot of fun designing that game. We playtested a bunch and, you know, it actually sparked kind of a renaissance of creativity between Vince and I. And so it was, it was an important project creatively and internally. Mm-hmm. And the Kickstarter was very difficult. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't do very well. <laughs> we had 99 backers. We barely got our goal. And truth be told, we sort of had to, to ask our friends and, you know, our, our loved ones to be like, please... Don't let us fail. And they came through, uh, luckily, and we were able to make that. But back to the original question and the Wild Sea. So Wild Sea is our second RPG project. And the way Wild Sea came about for Mythopia is actually related to what Vince was talking about with Glow. So Felix, the creator of Wild Sea, is actually a fan of Glow and has been for quite a while. In fact, the Glow partially inspired him for the Wild Sea. And the aspect he was particularly drawn to was the aspect that Vince was just talking about, the Nymerian language that we created for the world. So that entire story kind of gives you a picture of the dynamic between Vince and I as well. So I sort of came up with the original idea for Glow, but Vince has always sort of been right there helping me flesh out the world and the details of the story etc etc and one of the first things he came to me was basically look we have to do a language for for this comic it's really really important we absolutely have to have to create this language if it's a magical language and so we went on this big long journey of doing all of that coming up with the Nymerian guide and using it for our sound effects for parts of the book the reliefs like Vince was talking about and a few years later, when I was meeting Felix again for the second time, he he came up to me. He was like, hey, I'm a fan of your work. I'm a, I'm a fan of Glow, specifically the language aspects of it. So that's why I think Felix mentioned that I kind of say that it's fate a little bit. And that that's sort of what I mean by that, where it's like nothing happens in a vacuum. It all sort of circles back a little bit. So that's how the Wild Sea came about and how we sort of got involved in the project. So our role right now is to help raise money for the physical production and distribution of the book. Everything on the Kickstarter page, I set up basically from the video to the text copy to all of the art assets and I help them with press, help them set up that stuff. And I am the one primarily in charge of getting it into a physical hard copy form, which I have experienced thanks to our past work with Midopia. So talking to the printers, specking out the book, Knowing what the snafus are in terms of managing a team, all of that stuff is sort of our domain. Mm-hmm. And that's really valuable as someone who knew nothing about book publishing until I you know, started getting really into this hobby. Having someone who knows our, how to produce a book already, that would have saved me a lot of time for sure. Not that I'm not happy with all of the skills I've learned <laughs> in the last year or so, but I, I can see how that would be valuable for sure. Plus... The Mythopia Kickstarter of the Wild Sea is doing pretty dang well. As of this recording, the Kickstarter has a few days left and it's nearing $100,000, which is a big deal for an indie RPG, in my opinion. 
How have you felt about this Kickstarter this time around? Yeah, it's been it's it's been a lot. It's been quite the month, the past two months really. It's just been a whirlwind. And we're really happy. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing really to it than to be happy, right? But we're also cautiously optimistic, knowing that there's a ton of work ahead of us. It's a production Kickstarter, meaning that we're not done with the actual physical product. We're not just shipping it off to printers as soon as we get the funds. We actually have to pay a bunch of artists. We have a bunch of content to create. Mm -hmm. We have schedules and timelines to manage. We have many 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 moving parts so in many ways we're relieved it's it's great that especially you know because we did the love balloon and uh we didn't exactly sail on the love balloon but it was it was fun <laughs> and it was a learning experience and we knew that going into tabletop games and rpgs specifically was going to be a learning experience we didn't know whether or not our audience would translate or what we've learned would really translate you know we thought we would be okay but there's always a question mark. There's always risk involved. But yeah, I'm just really happy that it all worked out. Awesome. Vince, how long have you been an artist in comics? And, and how long have you been an artist in games and TTRPGs? Is that new for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, I think this year has been literally the first year that I ever got my, my feet wet into role-playing games. When Ray came up with the idea for The Love Balloon, that was literally Mythopia's, you know, first development into actually creating a tabletop game. Mm -hmm. We, of course, dabbled in ideas of, of making a game before, but nothing really developed out of those, those things. And to be honest, it is in part due to the lockdown that we kind of went down this road because with the first lockdown in March due to COVID, I literally, my, my full-time job ended and I was stuck at home for many, many months. And of course, we still had Mythopia to, to manage and, you know, we were doing a lot of that. But with the spare time, I kind of cracked open the Love Balloon and a couple of other uh, RPG books that I had lying around. Blaze in the Dark is one of those. Ray gave me a copy for, I believe, Christmas last year. Aw. <laughs> yeah, that time and that energy basically got me up to speed to the point where Ray and I literally over the summer cranked out like 12 mini tabletop games and, you know, we we're throwing around ideas and stuff. And that's what really got us into full swing. And when we saw Wild Sea, we were like, OK, we really like where this is going and really want to be part of that. I suspect that the design process for, for comics and RPGs differs a little bit. But I, I will say, you know, Vince, I, I like your art. I like your art in Glow. And because I've helped Ray playtest some things, I've gotten to see some of your art in playtest material and stuff like that. And it's been kind of a delight. Honestly, it made me really jealous of, <laughs> you know, like my playtests are always like a printed out black and white sheet of paper or, or maybe a Google sheet with <laughs> minimal graphics. So seeing like a whole system map for Beltway, which I hope it's OK if I drop the name of that, oh, yeah, sure. was was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. For like an early playtest, yeah. Thank you. And one of the things that I really appreciate about tabletop RPGs is that, that cohesion between, you know, mechanisms and, and the page, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, there's always this kind of gap where it's like the interface where you need to, to get the mechanisms into the mind of the player, into the mind of the GM, so that they can really 
embody what they're trying to do. And that's been that's been kind of my goal with Beltway and, and that. And it's always fun to come up with, with new ways of kind of plugging into people's brains, so to speak. Yeah, it's interesting that personally, I would never think to get art in such an early stage. But the stuff you've done for that all kind of works because, again, it is world building. And so there's there's no way it's going to become obsolete, really, unless you really change up the entire universe that you're creating for. Absolutely. And a lot of a lot of that comes from the fact that the mechanisms are inherently based in the in the form, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the, the map only works because the map introduces to you a certain passage or a certain way to play as opposed to say something a little bit more standardized like a like a grid or a hex system which allows a little bit more free form that is a rabbit hole that i could talk to you for hours about going into you know just interfaces and 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 whatnot one day maybe we'll get another artist on to talk with you Absolutely. <laughs> about some that. of this stuff that might be good yeah ray how long have you been a producer in comics I guess since 2014, since that was our first comic. And um, yeah, I, I, mm -hmm. Vince and I met in film school. We met at NYU mm -hmm. when we were both juniors. We, we both transferred in. So that summer, NYU does this cool thing where they put all of the summer transfers for film in the same summer program. So that way you have sort of a good base of people that you meet doing the same thing. And those become your friends and the people that you crew with all the time. So we go way back and... Back in the day, Vince was sort of, we crewed on the same films, the same student films. And a lot of times I would be the producer on student films and Vince would be the gaffer, DP, all sorts of stuff, basically. <laughs> but that was, that was what I did in, in college as well as produce projects. And that's sort of where my focus of education was. Do you have a similar experience to Vince of getting more into games during the lockdown? I have a background in games as a as a kid. So mm -hmm. like a lot of people, I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was in high school. I was introduced to role playing back when I was like eight or nine playing like StarCraft. StarCraft has these mm -hmm. use map settings maps, which are custom maps that that's where tower defense comes from. That's where Dota and League of Legends comes from. And way back in the day, they had a Dungeons and Dragons map where one player would <laughs> create units for other people to fight and also type in chat and create a little story and i thought that was the coolest thing ever and wow. ever since then i remember those yeah 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 so that was like my first role-playing experience and then in in eighth grade i think i really got into neverwinter nights and i was part of a mm -hmm. one of the first online campaigns there and it was really happy playing with you know people much older than i was and they didn't know because i was just ch chatting away and then when i was in high school uh gamekeeper which was a uh, wizards of the coast subsidiary decided to liquidate all of their stock and close all of their retail stores. So I managed to snag copies of 3.5, four or five core rule books for 60, 70% off. It was like the sweetest sale I've ever nabbed. <laughs> yeah. And that was probably a lot of content too. Yeah. Yeah. Tons and tons and tons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, on and off from, from there, um, I, I didn't really play in college at all. And actually, it's kind of funny how, how we got introduced to Blades in the Dark and narrative for systems. We were working on the first issue of Skies of Fire, and one of our other artists, Joseph, Joseph Vandal, who longtime Blades fans will know about, 
introduced us to the game back in i don't know quick start six or five or something like that showed us the kickstarter and was like yeah you have to play this game it's wonderful <laughs> and i read it i read about the uh fiction first mechanics the dice the dice system and then it just sort of blew blew my mind and we've been trying to hack it ever since basically where i've been trying to get vince to be on board to hack it <laughs> ever since and like dabbling <laughs> here and there on and off like over the years trying to learn the system but with nobody to play with mm -hmm. which is like really hard and but here we are 2020 and you know we have all these games now and we have the wild sea and you know it's finally paid off five six years later yeah you've definitely gotten a lot of blades in 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 the meantime oh yeah yeah especially this year yeah Ray, can you remind me were you a cast member on one of our actual play shows yeah so i was on death wish which was our first actual play and i was on there with uh, ian our gm as well as david and mk and now i am playing in a fistful of darkness that Ooh. mk is is jimmy yeah she's great she's she's a fantastic gm she's she's got some next level uh, abilities there so i'm really happy to be playing in that game it's a lot of fun i'm kind of jealous that's on that does sound fun look for us there but let's uh let's Get around to our topic today. So our topic today is working with artists. And I think a lot of designers are interested in this particular topic because most people, you know, especially those who have, of us who don't have an art degree of any kind, aren't really taught how to work with artists from a, from a monetary standpoint, but also from like a point of respect and from, from a business perspective, as well as just from a logistics perspective. So you know, I could just open this discussion up to you two because you certainly know more than me. I've worked with an artist, but I've mostly worked with my partner who who has been happy to produce some stuff with me for Savers of Hogtown and for Mothlight. But that's kind of a different relationship than, than a business relationship. So can you just give me like a summary of what is the business relationship between you, Ray, and you, Vince, as far as art production goes? Or is it more of a passion thing? I think for, for Ray and I, Mythopia is a big part of our passion. Yeah. It's a carriage that, like, you know, it, our visions are, are riding on, and it gives us the opportunity to meet like-minded people and people to collaborate with. That being said, you know, we understand that a lot of people uh, we work with, of course, work in their respective industries for a living. Mm -hmm. Ray and I, we, we both have second jobs. So that's kind of our, our way we keep afloat. And any spare time that we have, we dedicate it to, to what we love, which is making comics, making games. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, is very important when meeting other people and collaborating with them is to find out exactly like what they're looking for, what they want, not just kind of business-wise, of course, finances is very important. Mm -hmm. You, you want to make sure that you're not doing something that, you know, might not be cool for them or for you. You want everyone to, to be paid fairly. But it goes beyond that. It goes to the point where you want to work with people who like what you're doing and vice versa. Yeah. So we found that to be a very important aspect that when we're looking for people to collaborate with, if they have a vision that is in the line with ours, the job is a lot a lot easier. Vince, whenever a designer or a writer wants to commission you for some artwork, how do you like to be approached for that? There's obviously the excitable message over email or Twitter or whatever that's like, I love your work. <laughs> Kim, would you do a thing for me? But like, 
as an artist, what do you like to see in, you know, that kind of a request that makes you feel more comfortable to, to work with someone or explore uh, working with them? A lot of what I do with Mythopia, it takes a lot of my time. So unfortunately, if, if people do request my services, it's something that I'm very honest with them. And I go, listen, I, I run this company called Mythopia, and a lot of my passion projects are with it. So the requirements of me, you know, dedicating my time to something else uh, usually uh, ends up being two things. Uh, factor one is, can it be something that kind of orients me away from my day job and more towards the industry um, in, in a sense, like, can I get paid by it? And can I live off of it? In which case, uh, yeah, why not? Uh, but of course, the second thing is I need to be equally passionate about what they're trying to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And that is harder to find, at least for me. I have my, my niche, like, for example, with Skies of Fire, uh, I love airships, I, you know, Boom! Put an airship in there. I'll 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 help you out. But I mean, it it has to be a right concoction of 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 things to to really make me be like, wow, okay, I really need to be part of that. Cool. And Rafe, from the other side, whenever you need a piece of art, how do you approach? I guess in this case, you're working closely with Vince. But how do you make sure that that request is enticing to your artist that they're going to go full in? on your idea so we work with a lot of artists too and vince talks to a lot of our artists mm -hmm. and we, we all talk to the artists and, and help them sort of get the best out of their work for the project involved and i think there's a lot of different ways what vince said is ultimately the most important thing they have to be able to see your vision for the project and if they don't see your vision then it's not going to work mm -hmm. in the past we've done things like First of all, whenever I post up a job posting, I make it very, very clear and explicit what the terms are. I always tell them how much they're going to get paid. I always tell them what the scope of the job is. I always tell them what the timeline of the job is. And I always give them a short pitch. And from there, they can submit their portfolio. And we take the time to look at every person's portfolio that submits through our website or through our email or whatnot. And from there, it's often sort of the soft people skill portion of it, right? Like you want to find who's passionate, who's good, what their work rate is, what their, how they respond to feedback, stuff like that. So we, we have little trials and we have little tests. So oftentimes we'll pick the top five artists and we'll give them more material. We'll give them a pitch for what we want from them or what we want the world to be or look like. Mm -hmm. And we'll say, here is 50 bucks. Here's 75 bucks. Here's a hundred bucks. I'm not going to tell you what to make or what to show me, but you're free to show me whatever it is you want to show me for this project. And from there, you can gauge a lot. You can gauge who's really passionate about it because those who are passionate will respond right away and we'll keep sending in material, right? And we'll keep communicating with you and asking for feedback, et cetera, et cetera. You can gauge who gets the idea, right? Who gets the world? Like for Glow, for instance, um, to find the various artists that worked on the, the project, it took us years, literally years to, to set up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we looked everywhere. We looked online. We looked at local art colleges. We looked, we asked friends. We, we got so many different takes on the project and none of it, none of them were exactly right until it was exactly right. You can gauge feedback. You can suggest some things based off of their initial work and you can see how they respond to it, whether or not they respond to it 
whether or not they understand where you're coming from, whether you speak the same visual language as them, etc., etc. And yeah, that, I think that's ultimately the best way is to to sort of have a trial period. You feel out the, it's it's a relationship, and you're feeling out the relationship. You're feeling out what it would be like to engage in something long term with that person. I think that's really poignant. That even if it is a business relationship. If you're a designer of a game, presumably this is your passion project and you, you want someone who's going to give you at least a little bit of that in return. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's yeah. even I, I think it, the starting point is as, is as a business relationship, because that's too often and it's a mistake a lot of artists and creatives make is that they don't talk about these things. They don't talk about money. They don't talk about terms when they engage in the relationship. And that's when things get messy, because now you're entering into a covenant with somebody and you're not quite sure what the boundaries are and if things get serious or if there's serious disagreement there's nothing formal to say hey these are what we're going to fall back on here's how we're going to resolve conflicts here's what you own versus what i own etc etc all of that stuff and if business is the basis it's not even i would even say business is it's just clarifying the terms of the relationship right off the bat then from there you can grow to whatever it is afterwards and i would say that one of our strengths mythopia strengths is that for all the artists that we work with we have very very close relationships with all of our artists like vince said you know we, we try to find people who are ride or die with us, right? That, that really believe in the work that we do and um, will take time out of their life. Because so many of our artists have, have matriculated onto bigger and better things, yet, you know, they'll still answer our calls and they'll still make time for us if we have projects. Mm. And the reason that is, is because, well, I, a major part is because we pay them and pay them on time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> another part is, you know, that we treat them well, basically. We treat them as humans and we develop that relationship and we, we invest in people, not art. Awesome. Vince, do you have anything to add to that? That was really succinct and, you know, on the dot. Yeah, absolutely. I think when when you're creating something and you're getting people to collaborate with you, like Ray said, it it's literally like these are career-defining relationships and these are people who who will be with you, you know, for years and years if you if you nurture it and, and you grow with them. And that's I think what's really cool and awesome about the industry is that you can grow together and create more art as you as you go along. Excellent. For both of you, I'm curious, probably one of the biggest questions you you see TTRPG designers asking about art is, you know, how much they should budget for art and how early. Do you, do you have any answers for us? I know you're primarily comics, but I, I, I imagine there must be some some wisdom there. All of it as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... That Ray would tell you that that is the completely wrong way to to, to budget, and um, <laughs> in the end, he is right. Uh, we we love the idea. I think you know that's something that Ray and I at times we struggle, or at least I do. I I always love the idea of like, okay, it needs to be perfect. It needs to be ready now, and it's like, hang on, the rules aren't done yet, you know. And yeah. I think with art. It's a vital thing. It's an important thing because it helps others understand what you're trying to do. It helps build that world, that universe. And the better it is, if it has more color, if it has more richness, of course it does affect a person's perception to your game. But that's all face value. I think as people start 
delving into your game and start picking apart its mechanisms, then the longevity of your system will start to be more apparent. Whether, you know, this was something that you've poured your heart and soul into, or you've just slapped together some amazing images onto a clunky system. And what we've been doing to kind of, I guess what I've been doing to, to mitigate that is to find free stuff online, you know, Creative Commons things, yeah, there's a, a great tool called freesvg.org, and they've got some lovely line artwork. And I just kind of pick and choose and use that to help bolster any idea I'm creating. Or, you know, like Beltway, there wasn't anything that really existed that, that fit what I wanted. And so I just created it. And I know that sounds, that sounds very like offhand, like, oh, just create your own stuff. But it's literally that easy. If you don't know how to use Photoshop, take a pen and paper and just start with something, uh, something that you care about. And I think that is a, a great start. But in regards to actually budgeting and getting actual images, I think Ray has a, a better answer for that. I will be checking that out because I know I use a lot of Creative Commons assets for my own work. People who, who have picked up Kazoo Green will see a lot of my own work thanks to Unsplash and some nice filters, <laughs> which which I definitely recommend people try first before before investing a bunch of money in art just to see if they, it can you know it can go a long way in the in the beginning for playtests etc. Et Excellent, thank you, Vince. Ray, what about you? What is your more <laughs> what is your advice on budgeting for art? There are a couple of truisms about art. You get what you pay for. I think that's really, really true a lot of times. But you have to kind of co-factor that in that the people that get paid the most aren't necessarily the most talented, right? There's a difference between talent and being a professional. Mm. The other truism is speed, quality, and cost. Pick two, right? I think throughout my years as a creative, that has been really, really true. You know, you usually can get speed and quality but it's going to cost you a lot you can usually get quality and cheap but it's going to take a long time to do you can get speed and cheapness but it's not going to be very high quality etc etc so i would say what vince said is really right though that art is art is what draws people in and this is true for comics and games both art is what draws people in but for comics it's the story the characters that keeps them coming back and for games, I think it's the mechanics and the actual feel of the game itself. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on what your goals are, right? Like what realistically what yeah. your goals are. Um, and I think people have to be honest with themselves about it because a lot of people that are designing games are, are doing it as various degrees of hobbies, right? Like we we're doing it as a hobby, mm -hmm. but we're on the sort of like prosumer indie publisher side of the hobby scale, right? But that's also because we have a good amount of time that we can dedicate to this stuff or want to dedicate to this stuff. But if you're more along the lines of, oh, you know, I dabble every now and then I'm going to have a, a system here and there. And as long as I finish it within a couple of years and if nobody plays it or if only a couple people play it, I'll be fine. Then you're, you should adjust your expectations accordingly. But I think for people who want to self-publish their games, which sort of seems to be the modus operandi these days for the tabletop industry, I would say at the bare minimum, what you're really looking for is a good quick start. And this is what Felix mentioned as well, right? Mm -hmm. He talked about how he 
was reading tons and tons of rules and sometimes the mechanics would be absolutely innovative or wonderful but he just wouldn't read these documents because they were they were on Google Docs and they weren't formatted right and there was no art to break up the images <laughs> and there was just nothing to to catch your attention and that's why he really really wanted to work with artists as soon as possible because the artists also help inform what he's trying to do, right? It's a two-way relationship between the design and the art and the art and the design. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I would say what Vince said jokingly as much as much as you can as soon as possible or, or whatever the case may be. I think it's really true. Right. It's um, if, if, you, if you're only going to spend 20 bucks on your art, right? Like don't expect to have a $20,000 Kickstarter, right? Like this is just unreasonable <laughs> to assume that you're not making the financial investment in your project. Why should other people make a large financial investment in your project? And I think it, it, it may sound cold, but it's, you know, it's true. That's, that's the bottom line. Maybe that is a good rule is think about what your ambitions are, right? Like, are you happy with just releasing this free game on itch? Maybe, maybe don't spend any money <laughs> because you're probably only going to get so much back in investment. But if you're planning on doing a Kickstarter like that, art is going to lead to greater production of your game. It's going to lead to more value to your game. So probably spend a lot of time thinking about what you're going to put on the cover, how you're going to pitch your game, how you're going to sell it with the artwork. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Everybody's everybody's different. Everybody gets into it for a different reason. But Mm -hmm. just ask yourself, like, what art appeals to you, right? And if that's not what you're aspiring towards, because I, I, I can't think of any other way, right? That's just, just, that's just how Mythopia operates. It's like we aspire to do the best work possible and the highest quality work possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we make sacrifices in order to get that done. But uh, people are different. People have different goals. So with Mythopia going into the RPG field, what have been the biggest challenges in RPGs? Have there been any big changes from what you're used to in comics? Yeah, a lot, a lot, lot, lot. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a whole new community. It's, it's game design is re- really interesting because it attracts a lot of really smart people, right? A lot of people with PhDs and a lot of free time, which means professors a lot of times, right? People who, people who work in academics mm-hmm. or otherwise programmers, people with high-end white-collar jobs, like these tend to be the people that are attracted to this hobby and there are deep-seated philosophical questions that you can get into with RPGs, questions of authority, of consent, of meaning, of ritual, of all of those things that we like to go on and on about, right? But at the end of the day, it's like so simple. It's you're getting around and you're throwing some dice and you're imagining some some silly things with other people. But the the community, the community has been, for me, the the hardest part is sort of like finding my people, my tribe, and like, you know, people to support kind of what we're trying to do. That's been, that's been an experience. And that's been sort of like, sort of moving on, starting from the bottom and going to the web forums and stuff like that. Because for our comic stuff, we didn't really engage in the wider comic industry before jumping into it. And we still don't really, we're, we're sort of like these rank outsiders. And I mm-hmm. think there's, there's much to be said about that because a lot of people, whether in comics or whether in games, have the perception that it's like, okay, you know, I have to pay my dues. I have to rise on up so I can get published or whatever and, and write an image comic or whatever down the line. But we sort of just went cannonball, Kickstarter, and it went really well for us. And, and so, so we've been there ever since. And, and so when we meet people, mm-hmm. it's like from that perspective. Whereas for, with RPGs, it's the, it's the opposite perspective where we're, we're nobodies. 
and we're sort of like you know feeling our way through the scene sort of excellent thank you ray that, that is some good perspective there i hope people are you know when they're approaching this hobby and they're looking maybe if this is their first game and looking for art i hope they will feel bold, emboldened by this conversation to reach out and work with someone or or aspire to work with someone because it does seem more and more like kickstarters if you're going to make your money back for designing these games is kind of the way to go in terms of financing yourself and your team and the art in the game for people who really don't have any spare money at all how might you all suggest going about procuring an artist who might work with a lower budget are there contracts that someone might make to you know give over some of the proceeds of a game in 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 exchange for art what other kind of arrangements might you come to with an artist in order to kind of deal with a a lack of funds so to speak there are so many different ways you can let's say quote unquote cut the pie mm-hmm. you know you can create contracts and create equities and say okay let's go 50/50 on this project and if it kickstarts well you get 50% of whatever we make i've heard of people doing that with just a promise you know no no signed contracts no nothing people who offer up you know their first week's pay from their day job to to get it done Oof. yeah and uh, <laughs> i think ray and i fall into the latter camp cuz when we did guys of fire we actually pumped in our own money and i can tell you that at the time i was working as a food runner for a cafe which doesn't pay very well but what i did was bite the bullet uh get some notches off of your belt and really just save up that money to to get together whatever it takes to to really you know make people impressed and if i'm not mistaken guys of fire issue 1 was we paid for six pages of art and we split it 50/50 ray fronted half of it which was yeah. i think like 500 at the time i i fronted the other 500 and we got it on kickstarter and that is what made the payday and we got enough funds to not only make the fir- first issue but to make the second when it comes to you know giving people dividends and and things like that i i feel a bit wary about that personally it it just it it's a lot of hope and promise for something that you might be pushed into doing by someone else who has the passion but again there's no guarantee and you know at the end of the day what's telling you not to pursue something that you personally enjoy yourself for free doing it by hand than to work for someone else for a possible cut in in something. So yeah, I mean my my take is you really need to just find a way to get that money whatever it takes because at the end of the day that's what passion is. Passion doesn't die when you have no money. You find a way. Yeah, to add on to that, $500 for both of us at the time, I remember distinctly the feeling when we were putting in the funds and thinking what are we doing <laughs> like what <laughs> what is going to happen from here and $500 is a lot of money i was making like $15 an hour at the time so $500 was a lot of money basically months and months of of recreational money or what living money whatever the case may be and it was the scariest feeling in the world putting your own money into funds to procure artists or to to advance the project but it was necessary and it was a very very important step and as we've 
grown and sort of matured, that's sort of become natural where now we have S-Core and we have a business bank account. And now I don't even think about the funds in the company in the same way I think about my personal funds. Um, but without taking that first step and putting those first couple hundreds of dollars in, that would have never happened. And I think without risk, there is no reward really, right? So that's that's a major, major factor into the whole conversation about like, okay, like I don't have any money and I'm looking for artists and whatnot. Um, yeah, equity is great, but you know, like Vince said, nothing's a sure thing. You don't know if you're going to be successful or not down the road. You don't know if this thing is going to take off. So essentially, if you're asking for equity, you're asking people to to work for free. And the other other truism that I think is really important when talking about art and freelance work in general is that you're only worth as much as someone is willing to pay you. And if you don't ask, I'm talking from the perspective of the artist here too. This is what I tell all of our artists basically. If yeah. you don't ask, nobody is going to give it to you, right? If you keep saying, well, I'm going to just charge people 50 bucks a piece because you know, I, I don't think I'm worth a hundred bucks a piece yet. And I'm just going to work up to that point. Well, then when people ask you, Hey, you're, I like your work. How much do you charge? You're going to say 50 bucks a piece and you're going to be a $50 a piece artist. Whereas if you said 200 bucks a piece, then all of a sudden you're a $200 a piece artist. And who knows if people are going to pay for it, but you won't know if you don't ask. So it's always, always important to ask. That's actually really resonates with me as someone who's been in conversations about how much to charge for your games on itch.io or whatever. Like, it's hard to know what the sweet spot is, but definitely ask for what you feel <laughs> you deserve uh, as a starting point. Definitely. And maybe that actually is someplace where game designers, those game designers out there listening to the show, uh, I think it's primarily our audience. So <laughs> might have an advantage over, you know, starting a comic artist starting up or, or writers, which is that you can make a game without art <laughs> and you can sell that game for maybe maybe not a lot of money. But you can sell it for a little money and you can finance art for maybe that game or maybe a future game. And I would I would definitely recommend that route uh, as, as it's been my primary <laughs> route to, to making any kind of money for art to making an art budget. I think primarily a lot of my my itch.io account, the funds I raise on that, at least mentally go into a art budget. Like I might as well start a new bank account. Uh, <laughs> that's just art that just my itch.io empties into at this point. So for those of you with a drive through account or an itch.io account making small games, think about that. Yeah, and as soon as you reach a point where you're paying uh, $800 or more on taxes from your game stuff, uh -huh. get an LLC or an escort because <laughs> it'll save you so much money <laughs> down the line, like so much money Yeah, just on taxes. Yeah, 100%. Like the, and a CPA. If you can afford a CPA, get a CPA because they will save you so much money. I wish I knew that sooner. <laughs> well, I know that now. So yeah. <laughs> I will look into it. Thank you both. We're going to wind down, but I want to know if you have any last parting words of advice for creators. Each of you. Vince, would you like to go first? Last parting words. I got to make it good. Um, don't, don't make a living off of making games. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, um, wise words, wise words, you know, um, I think we're all reaching for that, for that dream where we make a living off of what we love. And I think that that is achievable. And if anyone who puts their mind to it and perseveres, they will reach it and they will get there. But, uh, it, it it's a long road and it takes patience, a lot of it. 
And uh, I guess the parting word is, if you do decide to make your passion your job, to be patient with yourself and take every day as a learning day and just be proud of what, what you're doing because not a lot of people have it in them to, to reach that, that mountaintop. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what Vince said, it's about perseverance at the end of the day. It's, it's really not, I mean, it's, it's luck, it's perseverance, and then it's talent. Of the people that we went to school with, all, you know, I don't know, 3,000 people who graduated in our class, less than half of them, less than two-thirds of them really, are still in a creative career of any sort. So many of them have become real estate agents, insurance people, construction people, tour guides, etc., etc. And we're really, really fortunate to continue doing what we do. And we really are. And we're really blessed to have found the modicum of success that we have. And if you are in that position where you find yourself fortunate to have success and people supporting you, pay yourself right away. Don't wait for tomorrow to pay for yourself. Don't sacrifice that aspect because it's only going to get harder and harder the further along in your life and your career that you get. And that's something that we should have done right away is just paid ourselves. And it would have made many things easier now had we made that decision earlier. So I tell everybody starting out now, if you are fortunate enough to have success and get a little bit of money, pay yourself, pay yourself a salary. Don't be like, well, no, I'm sacri- I'm, I'm doing it for the art or for the for the project. And I'll some somewhere down the line there'll be a big pot of gold. There is no pot of gold down the line. Yeah, thank you for that, Ray. That brings to mind a number of conversations I've had with people who have done their Kickstarters, but they forgot to pay themselves, and <laughs> they may have been successful in a sense, but certainly a lot more taxing than the ones where I've, I know that designers paid themselves first, for sure. Yeah, thank you for those words of advice. And thank you, Ray and Vince, for joining us today and for all your insights into Mothopia. If our listeners want to learn more about you, your work, or your games, where can they go? The best place is on our website, which is www.mythopia.us. That's M-Y-T-H-O-P-O-E-I-A.us. And we also have an itch.io account, mythopia.itch.o. And that's where we put all of our small games so love balloon you can find we have a ton of free games like like vince said we we made like 13 games this this summer and you can find all of them on our itch yes and you can also find uh ray you specifically did a couple playbooks for the unusual suspects jam please go check them out they're good and there might be a there might be a fun version of one of them in a charity zine coming to you <laughs> in a month or so. This has been a great episode of Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark Games and their designers. Again, I'm Justin. Ray is my guest today, but also my sometimes co-host. Thank you for being on today, Ray. Remember, when it comes to design, we all begin our journey as hacks in the dark. Mm-hmm.